You, actually, he basically prophesied I thought you were ending this show. me in this role. Are we just before. talking or are you ending this show? A little bit of both. Hey, everybody. It's me, Will Hart. I am here with Jason... Ballatin. I know your last name. Do you have like a middle name or like a... William. Like a William? Jason, as in Wallace. Shut up! Yeah, Jason William Wallace Ballatin. I love that. Why Why? Uh, why didn't you get named William? Uh, it's just William. But I always say as in William Wallace. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The, the I get that. I get that a lot. My grandpa's name was William and... Uh, <clears throat> My, it was my dad's dad who drowned, right? So, <laughs> hold on, I didn't know that. You can't just say something I'm that, saying, like, right? I know. I'm that. saying to honor him. Okay. My dad obviously get, gave me that name, uh, my middle name, and my cousin's name is Bill. Okay. So William. Just Bill. reverse two seconds. Uh, your grandfather drowned. My dad's dad. That's your grandfather. Yeah. How? Uh, when he when my dad was three years old, he drowned in the Anderson Dam. Oh so God. they were out fishing, right? Uh, our whole family is hunting, fishing family, mm-hmm. except for my dad, because it skipped. My dad was deathly afraid of water after his dad yeah. drowned, right? So his dad went out fishing with his um, his little um, cousin and uncle, and the boat flipped over in a storm. And my my grandpa swam um, my cousin back. Or his nephew back, I should mm-hmm. say. Swam his nephew back to shore, went back out for the boat that had capsized and never came back. Oh my God. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah, it was super horrible. My dad didn't talk for a year. He's three years old when that yeah. happened, so he didn't talk for a whole year. I mean, talk about like what happens when trauma and a man is removed from the environment. It completely changed my dad's life. That's really sad. Yeah. Wow. Way to start off this podcast, Jason. William so to, to honor him, I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah. that's where my name comes. I like from. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm William after my after my grandfather. Okay, yeah, but he was Bill. Did he drown? He did not, but he is dead. <laughs> I guess <laughs> they're both, my maybe, maybe they're hanging dead. out together. They they were they were really cool. Yeah. My 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 William grandfather was a dentist, and and true fact, you ready for a fun fact? I am. He was one of the he was one of the. The founders of research that sugar caused tooth decay. No way. Yeah, he's Harvard trained dentist. He, I think, he was one of the original like Harvard Dental School founders. It's and funny because like, that's such like public knowledge today. You're like, well, who wouldn't think that? Right. That's yeah. awesome. So uh, my grandmother used to tell me stories of like going up to his dorm and seeing like rats with tubes in their mouth, and they they would just sugar drip no like water sugar water onto rats' mouths and uh, do research on tooth decay. Wow. True story. We, I don't know that. Do we still test stuff on animals anymore? I hope so, because they don't have souls. Welcome to the Iris Global Green Room Podcast. I'm here with Jason Fallotin, and we just learned uh, that animals don't have souls. What else do you have to tell us, Jason? Uh, we're not married when we get to heaven. Is that? I actually just was talking with somebody about that two yeah. days ago. True story. Yeah. What I do mean, you think about that? I'm, I'm kind of glad. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've been married twice, so it'd be kind of hard if I had to choose between which one in heaven. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, that'd be awkward. You know what I mean? You sure? I feel like... Never been to heaven, but yeah. No, that would be awkward. Well, that's a fun fact. Yeah. Um, How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah? You're on, just for those people who don't know, who is this guy with the Salt Crew baseball hat on? Yeah. Uh, Jason is one of the leaders of... 
Bethel Church? Um, yeah, the, especially the local church. So mm-hmm. I help to oversee all the emotional health um, kind of departments at the church. So the Transformation Center I oversee, okay. um, our DTR, which is our uh, defining the relationship. Before people get married, they take this course. Okay. Um, counseling that happens there, teaching. So yeah, when Danny Silk abandoned us, for <laughs> some people say I don't that. know what else. That's to say, what happened. You know? is that, is synonyms. That, is synonyms. that how you put it? Yeah. Okay. Now, when he left and went to Jesus Culture, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was working for the school ministry at that time, and kind of overseeing the counseling and stuff that happened there. Okay. Was there a lot happened after he left, or just? No, I mean, okay. someone's got to run the departments, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I got brought over and just drowned in his shoes. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> The first three years were horrible. Okay. How old were you at the time? Uh, I'm thinking about how old I am now. <laughs> I was probably 34, 33. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's been good. Um, I'm part of the local church team as well. Um, so I'm on the core team, which basically means there's a lot of meetings that we help to decide what happens in the local church. Not necessarily the global movement, but mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning, what do you experience? And yeah. Um, what do we feel like our church needs? So more prayer or messages on discipleship. We're seeing those right, right now, right? right? So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty incredible world that we're a part of. Yeah. Like it's super honoring, um, once in a lifetime job. I don't know how you get here. I don't know how you get the job, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. Yeah. How- it feels like that. How do you guys, like, how does that happen? Like, how do you, is it, because a lot of people would say it's probably because you're yeah. part of the family, right? You've been yeah. around. For, for real. has got a huge voice. 100%. Your mom, yeah. Huge voice. Yeah. Right? Yeah, everyone's like, he got that job because his parents. I'm like, is that yeah, true? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, and there's, I actually have no issue with that. Well, people who have issue with that have entitlement issues. Right. Right. So inheritance, in my mind, I'm supposed to get something that I didn't necessarily work for, right? but that I'm able to steward. So, you know, I wouldn't have this job if I didn't spend my life from 12 years old on right. feeling like called to actually rebuild people's lives. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like it, it's a culmination of, um, I, I think the call that God has on, to not make it super spiritual, but the call that has on our family, mm-hmm. right? I feel like families have a call. And I would even say that, like, you can see it, like, um, my great-great-aunt, she illustrated um, the Good News Bible, mm-hmm. right? Which is... I really? Mean, yeah. How many billions of copies have, have yeah. sold from that? That's a big deal. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I have a great-great-grandfather that has written over 50 books. And then my dad, right, he had a third-grade reading level when he got saved. And how many books has he written? Right. And so it's like, it's somewhere in there, it's just God decided like your family line is going to have this really cool ability. And then I didn't do great at school, but one day realized like, I'm good at writing, like I can do it. And in the midst of tragedy in my life, in the, in the midst yeah. of going through the hardest season of my life, I realized like, oh gosh, I, I'm a great writer. Um, which obviously in your own eyes, being a great writer, yeah. <laughs> But it, it turned out like, and then I started to see like, oh, our family, like our our actual family was kind of commissioned. That's what we have. Right. That's the thing that we were given. So um, I think about it when I look at, you know, Lauren, I happened to marry a woman who 
loves the church, makes great decisions. Yeah. She's uh, the director of operations under okay. Eric Johnson. Yeah. So I'm like, it's pretty interesting how who God puts in your life and, and where you actually fit. Your your wife, just pause for a second, because honestly, like I watch her yeah. on Sunday morning, as right. does my whole family. Right. Uh, I And I'm not blowing uh, smoke up your your skirt. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I really am not. Like, she's one of the most eloquent. Yeah. Like, she, I I, I watch her form uh, an idea. Like, I watch her convey ideas right. in the clearest, most accurate, concise package. I've probably almost ever seen anybody do that in. She yeah, can get up there in a, in a couple of minutes and convey excellent information clearly and make everybody feel warm and welcome better than almost anybody else. It's true. It really is. Trying to do uh, like a video series with her Mm -hmm. makes me very insecure (laughs) because she nails her line every time. Yeah. Perfectly. Yeah. Not me. Okay. And so you guys have been married how long? Uh, Eight years. Eight eight years now. Yeah. And uh, she's pregnant. I wasn't going to announce that, but you did. With a baby girl. You want to talk about that? Um, yeah, I mean that's quite a journey. We can, we can, Go we for can it. hit that. Like, yeah, give, bring us on the journey because you know, it was this has been an issue for a long time, right? <laughs> you could say issue, yeah. Right, it's been on. Yeah, it's been a hard time. Um, I was previously married before, which I don't know. It's like huge to go into. You know, people can get the book or the CD or the MP3 or DVD. Which one? Uh, Supernatural Ways Ways of Royalty. Or sorry. <laughs> That's my dad's book. Yeah, I was going to say. Right. Supernatural Power Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've spoke on it a lot. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, went through a divorce. She, I got married to her um, several years later when I was 28. Uh, no, when I was 30, married her. Okay. And then, um, you know, so we have three kids, but she's obviously never had kids. Yeah. So we went, to make a long story short... We went through this long process of me having a reversal, which is horrible. Honestly, Dude, horrible. I, that's I don't want to get too personal on this, but yeah. Oh, you can. There are things I got that pictures. will never. There, there, there are decisions that are set in stone over my life. Well, you think that? No, that feels like my no, whole no, life. no. I yeah. But anyway, so you got a reversal. Yeah, went, got a reversal. <laughs> you know, and then six years we try. Yeah, we try. Which. It, everybody who's never tried like that is like, oh, awesome, you get to try. Like, yeah. you're having lots of sex. It's actually super painful because every time you try and you fail, like, yeah. she's on her period when you find out, oh, it actually didn't work this month. Right. So it's not like you're at your top peak. <laughs> she's actually really hormonal. Right. And we're both disappointed after right. like a year and then two years and then three years. Yeah. And then year five, um, Year five, we got pregnant, and it was, like, incredible. It was, I mean, we got pregnant in, on Father's Day, which, wow. you know, if you're a Christian, you're like, oh, Father yeah. God gave that yeah. baby to us, and, you know, you do all the things that you do. And, and 10 weeks, we were at our 10-week uh, checkup and found out the baby had no heartbeat. So, obviously, you know, that's not, I think that's something that probably every human being can relate to on some level, yeah. right? A dream dying yeah. or literally, you know, losing a child. Yeah. Um, I think it's about 30% yeah. of all uh, pregnancies. And it's day. devastating, yeah. man. Yeah. It's, it's super devastating. My wife and I. Yeah. At 10 weeks. I know yeah. Yeah. It's devastating. So anyways, found out we're pregnant, um, gosh, four months ago, five mm-hmm. months ago. Yeah. Which has just been incredible. It's her dream. 
So is it your dream? Because you've been. It down is this now. Road. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I never would have had more kids if if this wouldn't be her dream. Okay. So I mean, why would I? I'm 39 years old. My oldest is 20. My youngest is 15. Wow. At 43, 42 or 43, my kids will be out. I've lived a full life. I've right. had foster kids. I mean, I've lived a full life. So to me, I don't have this huge need to have kids. Like, even in a good way. Like, I don't have this, like, I need this, I want this experience or I need to feel like I've poured myself into, you know. So, but I feel like for her, I, I never want to keep a dream like her. Like a, especially a dream, like a childhood dream yeah. from her, just because it's comfortable for me. Right. Do you know what I mean? Totally. So this is a childhood dream, and I'm like, I could totally get on board with that. Yeah. So, Do you know what you're having? A girl, yeah. You, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like I've, I know that. I think I just said it twice. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. We're having a girl. Sometimes I need... Oh, thank you for the third time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and she, do you have she names set aside? Do you have yeah, a, like, I and I know. I know. No. I'm not asking for that. No, you are, but I'm not A little bit. That. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. No, sorry. Uh, are you going to name it after your grandmother? No. Okay. <laughs> just, I, mean, I just thought we'd yeah, fall along the yeah, William yeah, thing. Yeah. You're no. not good enough to pull it out of me uh, right now. You'd be surprised. I know. I have a track record. So, But I am stoked to have a girl. It balances our family out. And so for cool. her, that's what, I mean, that's her dream is to have a little girl. So, so cool. I'm so excited for you, yeah, man. Yeah, me like, too. What, what a blessing. When's the due date? Uh, February 27th. Okay. Leap year. Wow. Come on, man. Yeah. So I did a little bit of research on you. Very, very okay. little bit. But I know a couple things in the natural. Yeah, do it. You are an avid fisherman. I am. T tell me about that, because I try to do the same thing. Is that is that your go-to? Like, you love hunting, you love fishing? Um, is I that did, your free yeah. time? Yeah, yeah, I think so, especially uh, I went through a nervous breakdown. Okay. Um, you know, which is a long story, but I ended up overworking, literally overworking. Lost the use of my arms for a year. What? Um, yeah. I have not heard this story. You haven't? No. Okay, I'm yeah. not like, uh, you got to understand, I'm around the kind of whole thing. He, but he I is a fanboy. I don't me. listen to no, he all does. the things. Yeah, totally. Because there's so much info from like really amazing people. Out there. It's hard to do it all. I know. But that's what I, I want you to tell me. I want you to tell everybody listening. So, I mean, here's the thing. I feel like I've, Danny Silk wrote uh, um, like a forward for me. And he said, which was, is like, it's fun, you know, but I love reading what other people write about you because we love to hear what people think about us. Mm -hmm. Even if we say we don't, it's the first thing we look for in a yearbook, right? Mm -hmm. You. Yeah. Show me me. Um, <laughs> but he said, if you, ha if you live seven lifetimes, you would know what it's feel like, what it feels like to, to be Jason Valentin. I feel like that. Really? Yeah. I mean, again, I got married at 18 years old. Um, I've been through a divorce, had had my last child by the time I was 24. Mm. So three kids before 24. Um, and we didn't like have sex before marriage. So I mean, it was like right. married, I, 19 years old, I have my first child. By 24, I have a visectomy. Um, I'm on my own raising kids at 27, right? Wow. Which is crazy. For, and how many, you did that for how many years? Uh, like two and three quarter years. Okay. So three years basically. And then I meet Lauren, end up, end up in the middle of a nervous breakdown, which honestly, the long story short really is when you go through something really hard, like when, when you get broken down to nothing, yeah. especially if you had something. So I, 
And the reason why I say that is I see a lot of people get broken down and then they kind of, they get well, but they're just thankful to be well. Um, and I don't think that's bad, but I, I think for me, um, going through my divorce and then and getting totally broken down. Like I was over the school of ministry and helping their leader revival group. And then, you know, I'm still over the school of ministry, but like raising kids. And I just feel like a shell of myself. Yeah. I'm literally a year of just processing pain, right? And crying and just navigating through hell. Yeah. I mean, that's what a divorce is, right? Yeah. It's hell. So, and helping laying in bed with my with my kids at night and trying to explain like impossible things to a six year old and nine year old and just really hard stuff, you know. And my daughter, who's who was, uh, I think my daughter was six and my son was three. My youngest was three. I actually don't know this, but I just for context, and your wife is out of the picture. Like there is no split custody or um, or is, is yeah, there okay. is now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at first it was chaos. Okay, so. At first, it was chaos, which I'm not going to go into all those That's details. That's fine. I, don't need to. Yeah. I just I didn't know. No, that's great. I feel like I've I've overdone that. Okay, um, great. But the long story short is, uh, you know, I'm I'm like, I go into this. I I finally get I finally get well. You know, I finally work through the pain of my divorce. I'm doing good, um, and I'm feeling like myself again, like this really innocent, loving. I mean, I never smoked a cigarette in high school. I never drank a beer. I've never drank a full beer because I never felt the need to. Right. Honestly, I'm like hard conviction. If I believe in it, I'm going to go after right. it. Not even a bunch of rules. It's just, I just follow conviction. So mm -hmm. to go through all that stuff, I felt like, man, I've just been stolen of this, of all this innocence, right? So when I finally got well, I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to freaking win. Like, I'm going to win big. I'm really competitive, like ultra competitive <laughs> and really focused. So my dad is like, you should write a book about how to process pain. Because I, I, I'm just good at it, right? Yeah. And so I start writing this book on how to process pain and <clears throat> get a publisher because of my dad. Um, so we're writing it together. And then I help to... Um, I, I jump on his board for his ministry, and then I jump on more revolutions board, and yeah. then I'm starting to speak for more revolution, and then um, I'm helping to lead the men's purity group, our mm -hmm. sexual purity group at that time, and then I'm starting to counsel these guys. So pretty soon I'm doing like 20 counseling appointments a week, plus being a school of ministry yeah. uh, pastor, right? And then uh, an RGP pastor. So I have like 60 students that are under me. And then I'm writing this book and I'm counseling and I'm raising my kids and I'm helping them process still. And then I'm dating Lauren and I'm working out six days a week. <laughs> and pretty soon, literally, my body was like, screw you. Okay. So one day my body started twitching. And I was, I didn't know it, but I was so physically and emotionally depleted from just trying to win and win. And, and there, the crazy thing is, is people would be like, look at the fruit. I'm like, right. dude, the fruit was off the charts. Yeah, I am like cranking out fruit. <laughs> I mean, people's lives are getting changed. Right. Marriages are getting well. Um, I'm, you know, I'm writing a book. I am, I just like, the fruit was crazy. Yeah. So, um, and for me, when I look back, I'm just like, gosh, dang, I needed, I so badly needed to win that I the war, I just was like Jesus Valentin. 
<laughs> Honestly, and and literally, my I over I literally overworked. Wow. So I lost the use of I I started with deep uh, with some depression, but mostly anxiety. I could not get out from underneath this anxiety, and so I fought that for like uh, nine months. It's like heavy anxiety, and then and then. It, which turned into something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So I was getting cancer tests and rheumatoid arthritis tests and okay. MS tests because the symptoms in my body is having all these crazy symptoms. And uh, come to find out, it was just stress. But yeah. I mean, getting those tests just makes all the symptoms wor worse. Right. So You're I couldn't. Worrying constantly. If I was holding to take a drink of this cup, I'd have mm -hmm. to use two hands because my hands shook all the time. I had no strength in them, I couldn't open a water bottle. I couldn't make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for my kids. I'd wake up and there'd be a demon literally standing in front of my bed. Okay, let's talk about that. Okay. You could see it? Yeah, with okay. my eyes. Actually, my first response, I woke up, demon standing there, and I kick it. But I kicked through it, boom, break my toenail <laughs> no, on my dresser. Yeah, no, for real. No. Yeah, and my room, you know, my roommates, I had six guy roommates. So okay. my roommate's like, dude, you all right? I'm like, I would have two wet dreams a night for weeks on end. My body was just so racked with just overwhelmed pain and anxiety. It was trying to find outlets. Yeah. So it was hell, man. It was, that was, it was worse than my divorce. It's the worst thing I've ever been through. So overworking, overstress was worse than going through a divorce? 100%. Seriously. Imagine not being able to use your hands. Yeah, I mean, and I And then imagine not being that. able to think. And then imagine every crowd you go into, you're afraid that they're going to take anything from you. Because, and you're so fragile, you can't handle it. And then there's twitching all the time in my body. All the time my body twitched. And then pretty soon I couldn't walk a mile. I had pain all through my, my legs, which is... And then I had... I mean, my wrists had pain in them. And they were tingling all over. So it was like... It was really crazy. Crazier than what anybody probably knew besides so, my dad. So, yeah. So knowing your dad, the little bit that I do know of yeah. him, he seems pretty confrontational and stuff like this. Um, in other he's people. very helpful. In, in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad yeah. way. Like he sees it and helpful is a better way of putting it. Yeah, he my, sees it and he goes after it. He doesn't. Yeah, we did. Let it I mean, I did. So what's he telling you this whole time? We're trying to figure it out. Okay. So he like, doesn't know. We didn't know what's going on. I didn't know, I didn't, you know, it's hard to piece it together. It's like uh, the saying, you know, you have a hard time seeing the forest through the trees. Right. I'm like right in the middle of this, this dark hellish time. I have no idea what actually happened. Yeah. I don't know why I'm in the middle of this mess. And I felt like I was doing everything right. You know what I mean? Like, totally. like not forget Christian, just like right. in my life, like if I had like this super pure heart, felt like I was following my desires and even... I would have said I was setting boundaries, you know, yeah. but just really blind to the recovery time that it takes after even a divorce. And then what my capacity was as a human being. Yeah. And then as a man, um, I, I just completely blew it. And so, you know, it wasn't until I actually got on medication that uh, I started to get well. What, can I ask, what, what did you go on? Yeah. Because um, I've, I've been on this stuff. Okay. We'll see. Yeah. So <laughs> which ones? Yeah. yeah. So or what type? And you don't have to go. No, it's great. Um, the first medication I took was clonopin mm -hmm. um, or clonzepam. Just depends on how you want to say it. But that was the f the first night that I took that. So I went from literally not being able to hold the cup with two hands, mm -hmm. not being able to make PB and J's. I, I mean, buttoning my pants, tons of stress and anxiety all the time. Right. For a year. 
After like nine months, my family talked me into taking medication. I was deathly afraid of what would happen. And your dad, I don't want to interrupt, but your dad, I think as people are listening to this, yeah, yeah. like they, like the, especially the Christian charismatic yeah. healing, you said you saw a demon, like they're all going like, you know, all the yeah. spirit stuff's off the, off the wall. Yeah, yeah. I get it. But, it, totally. but let's meet people where they're at. Yeah. I like right. It. And they're like, man, that's crazy. Yeah. But your dad wrote a, an amazing book, Spirit, spirit Wars. Wars. Yeah. That I have, I mean, I was. Where just, do you think we get this content? I from? was just at a hospital, right? And a woman came up to me, like one of the nurses. She's yeah. like, "My son's doing this, this, this." I saw you in a movie, and I was like, "Just go buy Spirit Wars." Right, like that. That changed my perspective on this a lot. Hundred percent. And and so they, so and for those of you who don't know what happens in Spirit Wars, and I'll just yeah, do it. it if you don't like it, correct it. But yeah. basically. Your dad said, I had to get to a place where I could start getting healthy so I could tackle this stuff. He's like, yeah. I was just in a place where I couldn't tackle it. And the right. drugs, the medication for a limited time helped me 100%. Get, get my head above water so I could start dealing with so it. So I say that there's, uh, I'll break it down, but, and then I'll, I'll tell you what medication, I will continue that. But I think that there's a couple of ways that things happen, right? So let's say that you have un- bitterness and unforgiveness, yeah. right? Which opens up a door into the supernatural realm or the spiritual realm. And the enemy come, now has a legal right to come in and begin the affliction process, right? Um, and so sometimes I think that that happens or a molestation or... Right. Which again, so you have sexual sin on top of bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, uh, hate, um, even even murder, mm-hmm. and so, in some cases, even if you you don't do that, but the planning of yeah. opens up doors, right? And then the enemy gets legal access, which drives people into insanity. You know, the opposite. Uh, if God is a prince of peace, the opposite of that is chaos, right? Yeah. And so then they, I think there's a lot of unhealth that comes from that. Well, we also know that the enemy is a trespasser too, right? So, right. and we could give scriptures for that where you where you see that he there's captives and there's prisoners, and you can look in Isaiah for that. But the the ca- a captive is somebody who is basically you're in a war like we all are. We right. live in a, we live in a battle. You're not doing necessarily doing anything wrong, but you're taking you're taken captive. Right. You're not a prisoner. Right. A prisoner is somebody who has done something wrong. A captive is somebody who the enemy basically trespassed, came yeah. in and is doing something they're not supposed to do. Okay. okay. And then to me there's I think like there's there's a third possibility. The okay. third possibility is it starts with the physical. So you don't do a good job taking take, uh, eating well, sleeping well, exercising, having fun, setting boundaries, having needs. Pretty soon you exhaust yourself for long enough, right? And because we live in a spirit realm, I mean, you can't get out of that, right? right. Jesus says, if you hand a cup of water to one of these, you've done it unto me. So right. you can't separate the physical from the spiritual. You literally can't. They're so intertwined. So I think in my case, it started very much from a physical side. Something physically was wrong. Now, as soon as I introduced fear, boom, as soon as I partnered with fear, I could tell you fear was the catalyst to my stuff blowing up as big as it did. Wow. So overworking myself brought me to exhaustion, partnering with what's gonna happen tomorrow, what's gonna happen the next day, is right. this normal? Uh, that fear, the, the inability for me to, to stop and go, okay, this is fear right here. What do I actually need to do right now in order to take care of myself? Yeah. Because I, and I, the reason why I know that is I've helped like, tons of people out of this now that I recognize it really quick. I'm like, oh, I see it. 
Those are the same symptoms I had. Here's what's playing out. And I could, I could literally list off people right now that I'm thinking about, especially in the ministry that I'm like, this is what's happening to you. This is probably what you wake up with, right? Yes. How did you know that? Okay. Those are the same things that happened to me. Yeah. I can get them out of it so quick, but the fear now opened up a door for the enemy to come in and have access. Now I'm dealing with both, aren't I? I'm dealing with the spiritual stuff right. and I'm dealing with this physical stuff. And yes, I think that my dad's right. Like I could not... I mean, you have to understand, I'm in a culture where all we do all day long is pray for one another, if you right, want that. Right, right. I'm, you know, <laughs> but I, you can't, I, I'm like, you can't pray yourself back into like, back out of exhaustion and on some cases. Uh, like I literally had to, I mean, God could come in and do a miracle. He yep. could come in and like make you not exhausted, or he right. could come in and take away my anxiety. But to me, part of the challenge, and this is, and maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm standing on a soapbox a little bit. Go for but it. Here's the challenge when somebody comes up, and I'll just use this as, a, as an example. They say like, "Will you will you pray for me? I'm struggling with, uh, let, let's say it's pornography mm -hmm. with an addiction." Mm -hmm. And I typically say this. I'll say like, "Yes, I will." I don't have a problem praying with you for addiction because I've seen that happen, right? right. A, a, a ton of times I've seen someone struggle with pornography. We pray for them. They no longer struggle with pornography. Yeah. The challenge with this is the root issue of pornography isn't a lack of prayer. It's not even a lack of spirituality. Okay. So if you, if you take away the symptom, so they no longer have this, they no longer are struggling with the temptation to look at pornography but you don't fix the root of that, which is possibly a fear of intimacy that would be right. like probably one of the biggest ones, or maybe they don't know how to deal with loneliness. Not lonely like I feel alone, but does anyone ever really know me? Yeah. Which drives them to that. Or again, if you don't take care of the root issue, they're gonna figure out, because our body has needs, and, when, and that lonely or whatever that cycle, is, whatever's at the root of that issue is pain. And that pain is driving them to medicate. Right. So if you don't go in and actually heal that pain, they will find another thing to replace it with. Right. So now maybe they go to women right. or men or, or eating. Or booze or whatever. Or yeah. alcohol. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, God could have come and plucked me out of that season, but God wasn't afraid of my season. I, I mean, God's not up there like, oh gosh, I'm so afraid that you're not. I'm thinking like, God's looking at, uh, now on this side of it, I'm like, God's looking at 28-year-old Jason Ballatin, and he's going like, you need to know me in the chaos. I didn't start this. Right. This is what you chose. You don't deserve this. Mm. I love you. I'm going to give you wisdom to navigate it. But if you don't figure out what started this, and you don't figure out how to manage your life, this is going to rule the rest of your life. If you'd have plucked me out of that, I, that that drive to be significant, the drive, the the competitive drive inside of me, I would have. If I'd have got pulled out of that in a month, I would find myself five years later back down this road, hmm. and we'd be having this conversation again about why leaders crash. And right, I, I actually I think most people crash because they don't know their boundaries, they don't know their limits. Really, hundred percent. So let's talk about limits. Oh, actually, before we talk about limits, yeah, I just want you to end your thought on meds. Yeah. So um, when I the first time I took medication, right, mm -hmm. my sister talked me into it. Um, which I won't tell you which one, but um, she had been. 
she had been through the same type of thing, mm -hmm. uh, just a little bit different, but worse. So in the sense of she couldn't get out of her room for a couple, you know, a couple years. So two weeks at a time, she'd stay in her bedroom. Yeah. And so finally, you know, at, at some point you go medicate, even though you're terrified of it, you're like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm dying. I'm basically dying. Yeah. So you're going to take that. So she said, Jay, the, what the, the medication, what it could possibly do to your body, the negative side effects are less than what the anxiety is doing to your body. And that, that was the only thing that made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so finally I took, you know, I did, I took Klonopin and, um, the first time I took Klonopin, that first night was the first time I actually, in like nine months, felt anxiety lift. Come on. Where I was like, oh, wow, like I'm going to be okay. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in any other area yeah, where they, you're like, I'm going to be okay. Like yeah. there's, an, there's an answer for this. Whether it's you got prayer for something or whether totally. through you know anything in life, you're like, oh, okay. And then eventually I got on um, Klonopin with uh, like Lexapro or... Um, which my, is my doctors put me on Wellbutrin, which yeah. is like one of those, and I hated that. Yeah, I hated that stuff. Yeah, but totally. I I've had that feeling like it, so whether it's uh, antidepressants or like yeah. my wife and I, she went through cancer, and I know I talk about uh, this a yeah. lot because it, it actually is a major defining moment. Hundred percent. But that same sort of thing, right? Like, do we pursue medical treatment or do we just wait for God to come and heal my wife? <laughs> totally. And it's amazing how many people get pissed off. When you go after, when yeah. you use like the medical, yeah, community. and I'm like more power to them. You yeah, know? I love it. Like I'm, How I love it because my wife is alive. Yes, because of prayer. Yes, because of His grace. Yeah, but also because these doctors did the most amazing yeah, work that they could on her. We, I ran into that situation, and I look at this as almost all those situations, whether it's antidepressants yeah. or anything like. I'm going to do what I do best, and I'm going to let them do what they do best. Yeah, it's true. And, and I'm going yeah. to live in a community that yeah. speaks into me in the middle and guides me through and helps yeah, me navigate. Yeah, it's true. You know, um, there's a, there's just so It wasn't like I took medication and all of a sudden, like, oh, my life's fine. Right. It's like I took medication. The ultimate freedom that I had, right? So, um, gosh, I know we're talking about this a lot, so maybe this helps somebody. So good. Um, I took medication. That got me to a place where I could function mm -hmm. day to day to day. Lauren and I end up getting married. I spend the next three years dealing with anxiety, mm -hmm. like crazy amounts of anxiety. After you're married? Sure. Okay. That Lots wasn't of it. like a, everything's fixed. I got this the new fear. love in my life. Now I'm afraid that I'm going to fall back into it. Now I'm afraid that if I overdo it, I'm not going to be okay. Now I'm afraid that I'm fragile. I actually believe that I'm fragile, right? Because who in one, one, in nine months, actually like in four months goes from being fine to you can't move your arms. Yeah. I'm driving using my knee like 80% of the time. So that trauma, literally that trauma made me go like, okay, this small amount of freedom that I have, I have to protect it with everything I have. Yeah. So I still couldn't walk over a mile. I developed tendonitis in both arms which who does that happen to? <laughs> Nobody. Right. And so I had this like crazy defining moment. Like I'm, I'm getting ready to preach. I'm still preaching and doing stupid stuff. You know, I had no business doing that. Uh, not because I, I honestly, yeah, clarify not, that. Yeah. Clarify that. Because I wasn't well, I wasn't physically well. So I'm like, dude, just put it, just put it down. Just put down the, put down the torch, bro. And just do husband, and work really good, like stay at home, do work really good until you don't have any anxiety, until you can function, do that. But no, Jay's gotta be a hero, he's gotta feel significant. So I dropped all these other things, 
even though I finished my book, mm-hmm. which that's a whole crazy story about yep. grit we can talk about later. Um, but, you know, so I'm in Seattle. I'll, I'll tell you like the, the actual defining moment of when, when I got well. Okay. Because the medication didn't get me well, it, even the playing field. But when I got well, I'm in Seattle and I'm getting ready to preach. And I have tons of anxiety and I have tendonitis in both arms and I'm just angry. I'm super angry because I, I am like this. I used to be this like strong firefighter, you know, lift weights, buff dude. And now I'm just like this fragile, broken down man. And I'm just like so pissed. So I call my dad because that's the only thing I know to do. I call my dad. My wife's with me and my daughter's with me. And I say, I'm just, he says, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just so, I have so much anxiety. I'm tired of this. He says, there's a word written across your head. Now, again, we're on the phone. Right. He, and only my dad can do this. Right. Dads are amazing. This is why you need your dad. Yeah. Because dads have this special insight into your life, right? So he said, there's this word written across your son, your, your head, son. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's the word fragile. When he said it, I just broke down crying. And he said, that's a spirit. So I had had this spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Follow me around. It's just going like, you're fragile here, you're fragile there, you're fragile here, blah. And it's keeping me locked up inside this world. Again, I still have pain when I walk. I have tendonitis in both arms. And he said, you're not fragile, you're agile. Well, it's frustrating to get those kinds of words when you really aren't the thing that he sees right. that you are, but you have to somehow partner with it. And I believed my dad because of how it resonated with me. I've been in this world long enough to know like, okay, I know that that's true although it didn't change anything in that moment, right? So this is the beautiful moment of me going through the process. So I hang up the phone, I go downstairs, I get on the treadmill, I say, I'm gonna walk for five minutes, that's it. So I set the timer for five minutes, I walk. My big toe starts tingling, which would have sent me thrashing down this crazy mode before. And I just go like, okay, that's just what's happening. It's tingling. So I walk my five minutes, I get off, great, nothing crazy happened. It, it, like nothing changed. Right. I went, I did the conference. It was horrible. It was, you know, it was fine. It was just like, what, I still had anxiety, right. but I'm like, I have to start partnering with this word. You're not fragile, you're agile. So then I come home and Bob Hazlitt's preaching. And he's a good friend of mine. He's great. One of the best, best. Changed my life. Yeah. And I don't say that a lot. Um, so Bob Hazlitt, he's doing his prophetic word stuff right. and, and I'm, I'm listening to him, but I'm listening with, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for I'm hungry for insight in this time. So I asked my dad, which I, I've never done uh, before or since. I said, I'd like to have a meeting with him. Can you get me a meeting with him? I don't know why, uh, just f- from listening to his messages. Right. So my dad said, yeah, of course. So he sets up this half an hour meeting with Bob Hazlitt and I'm sitting there with Bob and he says, what's going on? I tell him what's going on and he said, you're trying to fight for victory instead of fight from victory. And I said, okay, to be really honest with you, like I've preached that message. <laughs> I mean, on, whether right. I really preached it from stage right. or not, like I've answered that question. Right, right. We all have, you right. know? I read that quote on Facebook once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it preaches super good, yeah. you know? It's, it, but it, it swallows like a dry pill. Right. It does. Right. So I said to him, I must not know what that means. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I'm. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I just went into learn mode. Mm-hmm. Like teach me, you know. I was completely humbled. Humbled. And he said, "For instance, when you wake up in the morning, 
you try to be okay, be okay instead of understand like this has already been paid for. It doesn't matter how I feel. I need to figure out what's on God's heart and right. work from that place. Because I had this routine. I'd wake up every morning and I would do a check on my body subconsciously. Right. I'd do a check on my body. I'd find out what hurt and what didn't hurt because different parts of my body hurt every day. Mm -hmm. And then I would nurture my way around that every day, every single day. So I realized like, okay, I've built up these thought processes, even that, like that was one that I could go like, okay, I know from here that I'm living, uh, I'm, I'm trying to fight for victory here right. instead of from victory. So I have to change that toxic thought this morning. I have to go from what's wrong with me to thank you, Lord, for creating this incredible day, no matter, no matter what I wake up with, like it's still an amazing day. Right. And so I started to do that. And then I had this like really incredible moment where my wife left and she went to uh, Charleston, South Carolina mm -hmm. to be with her parents. And I had just bought this drift boat because I love fishing yes. and fly fishing, which you use your arms all the time, fly fishing. And you have to remember, like I have tendonitis in this process. So every day I wake up with tendonitis, like these symptoms, and I and I, you know, I can do certain things and I can't do certain things. And rowing and casting are yeah. the two things that you should not do, right? Because <laughs> tendonitis is repetitive use yeah. disorder. So I decide, like, okay, I don't want to partner with fear, but I also don't want to be dumb. Because one thing I've seen happen over and over again is Christians get a word and then they go full bore. Right. And they just drive themselves into the ground because I still have to love my body and I would need to partner with the word that God's given me. So the first day I row my boat for half an hour, I fish for, you know, whatever, 20 minutes, and then I'm done. She's gone for five days. And I go home, I take Advil, I go to bed. And again, I wake up in the morning and I'm not worried about, I'm literally... Um, Instead of allowing my mind to go to the fear of what I'm waking up with, I'm like, okay, the Lord's going to pull me out of it. I'm going, this is what he has done, and this is what he's doing. Yeah. That's all I'm focused on. And it's a complete shift in the paradigm. Next day, I do 45 minutes. Next day, I do an hour. Next day, and I'm just kind to myself. So as, here, as soon as I hear my body or the Holy Spirit, however you want to say it, right. say, stop, I'm done. I come in, I'm all good. And I'm like obsessed with fishing. So that's taking a lot of willpower. Yeah. Because before I was like, screw it. I don't even care. I'm going to fish for five hours. But totally just, just angry. So it's like day... I don't know, it's probably day four mm -hmm. or day five. I had fished for probably two hours, two or three hours. And at that point I was like, ooh, I'm gonna pay for it, you know, cause I'd, I'd done a lot. So I come home and I put Advil in my hand and this isn't like a huge defining moment, you know, I don't think that Advil is bad, but I heard like this t tiny little voice, like you don't have to do that. And I thought like, okay, well, that could have been the Holy Spirit. Or it could just be me. You know how you, like, you want those little moments so you oh, try yeah. and create them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I thought, oh, it could just be me. And then I thought, well, I don't really have anything to lose. It's not like excruciating pain. So I just right. set it on the, on the counter, went to bed, woke up, still had pain. From then on, I continued to work on, and I captured every single thought that didn't start in the heart of God, which is what Bill would say. Okay. And then I began to find out like what the Lord is doing in my life. And then I began to partner with those things. And I became, I was kind to my body. And I eventually in like two months, so I'd gone six months with this chronic, uh, six or seven months with, with chronic um, 
tendonitis in both arms. Yeah. In two months, it was gone. Come on. And not only that, but I could, like, I went from being af being afraid and not actually physically being able to walk a mile without pain to, oh, I'm walking a miles, and then I'm walking two miles, and I'm walking three miles. So like this weekend, I ran 12 miles, and you go, right. why'd you do that? Just because I can. <laughs> Just yeah. because I can. Literally, yeah. because I'm like, I can't. I can do that. So I'm not fragile. It was that word. It was your father's word and the, and the Bob Hazlett kind of moment. It's like this. Combined with. It's like medication, boom, right. creates this space so that I can actually think. Yep. Then it's like, okay, you're still doing, stu you still have this crazy bad thinking that's allowing this friggin' demon of fragile or whatever yeah. to come in and just wreak havoc in your life. So my dad addresses that. So then I'm just like curious, like how do I get rid right. of that thing? And Bob's like, oh, it's because your stupid mindset. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> how do I change that? Yeah. Right? So I start just pressing it. And that's where the, you and the Holy Spirit build history. Right. And I'm still taking those pills and I'm still doing all stuff, right? And I'm, I'm just like, boom, I got a hammer. Mm -hmm. I got a hammer away at the word of the Lord, what he's saying to me and the physical side of it. So that's the other thing. Like you can't, you can't like, I don't know. I guess I get so frustrated with the idea that like God's just going to do everything for you, you know? Right. And, and I understand about standing on the word and, and proclaiming truth, but I think so many people proclaim truth over their life and then they do nothing all day long. Right. And then they wake up feeling like crap and then they proclaim truth. And I'm like, it's not supposed to work that way. You're supposed to proclaim truth and then go live it and be gritty yeah. And do things that you don't want to do because it's the right thing to do and push through that and persevere, right? Yeah. And then wake up the next day and proclaim that truth over you. And if you feel ugly or if you feel fat and you're proclaiming like the Lord's given me energy and he's given me beauty for ashes, well, also go work out. You know what I mean? And discipline yourself to not eat so much. Yeah. And like, don't put it all on God. Right. Like, take ownership. Right. And so, again, like, I think for me, that's my whole entire journey is like, I had to learn boundaries. I had to learn what health was for me. I had to learn my limits. Like, I had to push out these people that were like, medication, you take medication. Right. I'm like, okay, don't use your arms for a year and right, tell me right, what you would do. Right. I need to talk about something. And I, we have, We've already gone for a while, but I want to talk it's about fine. something. You can you make it a two-part series. No, it's okay. I want to talk about boundaries with you, okay? Okay. So this is something that in our culture at IRS, yeah. <laughs> we don't, we believe in boundaries, Yeah. but not the way most people believe okay. in boundaries. Okay. So I've been teaching it second year. Okay. And I get up and I talk about dying to yourself, give your life away. Totally. Give it all away to him. Right. And and I had this moment in my class last year uh, where I didn't know who it was. I thought it was a student, but it was one of the revival group Ooh, pastors. Yeah. Did you? That's yeah, awesome. I, no, I hope you didn't hear no, about no. this. I didn't. Um, but somebody somebody got up, and I didn't know who he was because I just don't know who people are yeah. here, and which I kind of like. Yeah. But he got up and he was like, "Talk talk to me about boundaries," and I was like, "I probably would have phrased it differently, but." The long and short of what I said was like everybody who talks about boundaries, most everybody talks about boundaries. It's a thing of pride. Like okay. it is like it's a way of validating themselves, making themselves feel <laughs> totally. important. Like I have to set look up at my how strong I yeah, am. Look at how like how important I am, and I have <laughs> yeah. to have all these boundaries. Totally. And and before the like, I am fully convinced that you actually have to break boundaries. And this isn't no, you're okay. The Go healthiest ahead. thing, but like like I want I want my son. 
to beat somebody up so he can understand what his strength is okay. and what, what, it, what his strength isn't. Okay. Right? Like you don't know how strong you are just because you're like, oh, I'm going to withhold from you. No, okay, like yeah. you actually have to get into a fight yep. to know how to withhold that, okay. which takes self-control. Sure. And I find that most people are setting up boundaries before they actually need them. Okay. Right? Does that um, make sense? That I, yeah. Oh man, you're psychoanalyzing me. I saw you. You're I'm like not. not looking at me. You're like, okay. Well, I have to. Th whenever you're thinking, I mean, you're looking at an. No, look, at, look right? into my look into my heart. Uh, uh, your soul is dark. Look so. into my soul. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the only t time somebody's asked me about my soul is here in Bethel. That's amazing. How's your soul? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know how to answer. That's fine. Boundaries. Let's talk about boundaries. Because Jesus didn't have too many boundaries. Oh, he did, though. I know, but not no, in the context no, of, he did. of Hold what on. I think a lot of people have. Go for it. Yeah, let's talk about Jesus' boundaries. Go for it, please. So for, for starters, the purpose of boundaries. So a goal in setting a boundary should be to protect your relationships, if we're talking about relational boundaries, mm -hmm. not to keep people out. So... For instance, I hear a lot of people taking pride in the boundary I set with that guy. And I'm like, no, that's your way that you coped with your fear. Right. So we set boundaries with people who steal from us by putting doors with locks on it. It's not that we hate those people, but when you steal from me, I have a very hard time actually caring for you. It's a way that I set up my world, right? And so... Um, boundaries shouldn't be, uh, boundaries, you know, yes, sometimes I'll set a boundary with somebody who uh, is, is angry and is violent. I'm going to set a boundary, boom, mostly to keep them out. But again, my job is to love everybody in this world mm -hmm. and not even in a fake way, but actually like in a fierce way. So if I let you come in and abuse me and abuse my family, the end result of our relationship is going to be corroded, like corroded erosion. Mm. That's a dysfunctional relationship. So I'm going to set boundaries with that. Um, when I think that what we're talking about is two different things, though. That's why I looked left, is capacity and boundaries are two different things. I want my son, your son, myself, yourself, to know what our capacity is. And until you step one foot over your capacity, right. you never know where right. it is. And this is, I think that, myself included, I think that we are so afraid of the pain of reaching the end of our capacity or our threshold, you can use that word too, yeah. that we rarely ever find out what we're made of. So for instance, let me give you a really easy for instance one. A human being can outrun in distance, I think every single animal on the planet. There's no animal that can run further than us. So I was just watching this woman who did a 240 mile uh, nonstop. It's called the Moab. Right? Yeah, I, 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 she won it. And she won and it. And she like kicked everybody's butt by yeah. what, eight hours? And she only slept 21 minutes. I know. 21 she, minutes. Yeah. So I listened to a whole podcast on yeah, it. Fascinating. There's no horse that can do that. Right. <laughs> For real. So people are like, no horses. No, yeah. there just isn't. Th yeah. That just doesn't happen. So when you think about it in the physical realm, right, we are physically capable, the average person. So if she can do 250 miles, 240 mm -hmm. miles, right? It, it makes sense to me. The average person, non-talented average person could probably work their way up to 40 or 50 miles right. without stopping. Yeah. But we don't. Now I'm not saying we should. I'm saying we don't. <laughs> That's our capacity. Yeah. Therefore, when I look at that and I put it to every other place in our life, I'm like, we have so much untapped capacity, but we 
We don't tap our threshold because of the fear, because of pain, because of convenience, because of uh, all different, uh, all different right. areas, but mostly negative things. Therefore, when you go into a challenging time, if you've never pressed into your capacity, you're always afraid that you're not going to have enough. Right. Always. So we just don't have enough time for me to cover it all the way. Don't. But the, the bottom line to me is, unless you've actually figured out what your capacity is, and unless you're strategically growing that, you will live way below your means forever. Mm-hmm. And when I look at Jesus, I think this is what I see with Jesus. I actually, really clearly, I see Jesus pull up to a shore, mm-hmm. get off a boat. There's tons of people there waiting for him. And you know that they have need. And you know this because he pushes through the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. And the woman touches him with the issue of blood. And, and that, that's obviously very, a very famous verse, but he wasn't there to heal that woman. What was he there to do? He was there to, to actually heal a child. Mm-hmm. He was on his way to a man's house to go heal a child. It's the craziest thing. You think about it, Jesus has three years to do the most right. impossible thing. But I think people actually need to break this down and really think about it. He only had three years to carry this weight, this burden of transforming the world, like taking what sin had done and not only removing our sin, but then getting so much culture into mankind that it carries over into 2020 right. and continues on forever. Right. That is a huge task. And he's only given three years to do it. So you would think everything that he has to do has to be so precise, right? Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't have much time. So if I'm God, strategically planning back in that time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make Jesus a king of all these kings. Right. I mean, in a literal sense. So right. he's going to get like the kings and the kings are going to write the scripts and they're going to like, they're going to make all the kingdoms come to God and then forever right. these kingdoms will be, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't. No. So he sends him out on foot with like this ragtag bunch of people, right? Like these the twelve, and one of them's a friggin' thief. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. It it, when you oh, actually literally think about it, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So to to think Jesus didn't have crazy good boundaries, that I think is like I don't actually think that's true. I think Jesus was so strategic. So he he presses through. The woman touches him with issue of blood. He turns and acknowledges it more for her sake and our sake than anything goes on and I, uh, he, he finishes his mission for that day. When, when, Jesus, uh, when someone comes to Jesus and they say, will you heal me? Or Jesus, I need to be healed of this, right? He never turned one person down. But what do you hear him say repeatedly? Don't tell anybody. Over and over again, Jesus is like, don't go tell your friend, like don't tell anybody. Think about it. If that I used to, like that used to puzzle me so much. And I'm not saying I've cracked a code on it, but okay. I've cracked it for me. What give, I give think. it to me. I want to hear. If you only have three years to change the world, and you only do what God's telling you to do, yeah. literally, He's literally on God's mission. So that morning, God said, "Go cross the sea, go push through that crowd. Don't start a fire tunnel. Don't try and get a bunch of people right. saved," which is what we would do. Right. He literally went and said, okay, so all you want me to do is heal one person. Right. That's all I want you to do today, Jesus. 
Okay, well, I only have 1,094 days or whatever. I've done the math before. Uh, you want me to take one of those days? And it, yes, I want you to do that. Okay, so he goes and does that. Now, if I'm Jesus, or it, um, sorry, when, when someone comes and it's not on the agenda, he's not, could you imagine if Jesus healed somebody and then was like, go tell all your friends, I'll be here till 6 p.m. Right. He would never get anywhere. Jesus wasn't super concerned about how many people were healed. Jesus was, his first mission, his first goal was to fulfill his mission. Yeah. In love. Yeah. Like to stick to the plan, 100%. So you see him set up these things. It's like, yes, but please don't go and tell all your friends, dude. Okay. And then you see Jesus get time away, right? So he gets tired and he's mm -hmm. like, hey, you, can you take this watch? Hey, can you do this thing? Yeah. So you see Jesus get out and then you see people want to come and follow Jesus. And he's like, he actually, he tries to deter him. He said like, dude, birds have nests, foxes have dens. Yeah. I don't have any place to lay my head. And then like people try and go like, okay, uh, how do I get into the kingdom? He's like, sell everything you got. I already did that thing. Okay, or sorry, he says, do all these things. Right. And the guy says, I already did that. He's like, okay, sell all your stuff. He, Jesus doesn't make it like super easy. He like sets up all these huge hurdles and obstacles. And right. you see him set huge boundaries with, with the uh, Pharisees, even saying, or even with his own people, like, like Peter, get behind me, Satan. He's like, I will not listen to what you're saying. That will not happen here. Again, so in my mind, I watch Jesus do relationship uh, very strategic and very much on a plan and stick to the plan. Hmm. Even see him with his mom where he goes like, you and I both know this isn't our time. Right. So she's like, okay, well then go home early. You know, you're going to have to go home early. So he turns the water into wine. No, so I agree with you. But a lot of those boundaries are not what people are talking about these days. No, because they're afraid. Right. So, like, I get, I would agree with you entirely. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the rhetoric that I hear right. is like, oh, I need to have X amount of hours with my wife and kids. Or, or like, I, I will only do ministry this amount of time per, per day. And you do not see that in the life of Jesus. It, like, you saw him rest, right? But yeah. you saw him serve all. Even in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right, he's like, you do this, and this is how you inherit eternal life, right? right. And he, and and the lawyer goes, well, who's my who is my neighbor? And right. He's like, this is your neighbor, like it's the naked, bloody yeah. dude on right. the side of the street that you literally give your finance, right? You you give your time, effort, finance to see that person. You right. do that, and you're going to inherit eternal life. And so I think the balance that I see in a culture of raising up ministry, right, and is is those boundaries are. It scares me when I have people, when I know people that have it all figured out ahead of time. And, and, uh, and Jesus, yeah. Jesus did whatever he saw the Father doing, and the Father took him in the craziest directions. Yeah. Like, in the moment. In the moment. Like, it was not, there mm. wasn't, Jesus was like, I'm, I'm doing this on this day, and then I'm doing this on this day, then I'm doing this, and I'm only going to minister to these people, and then also, you know, it's like, no, it was in the moment, and it was what was needed. And there was times when he walked all night, there was times when yeah. he slept, there was times when he it's was in true. the storm. And I feel like a true relationship with the Holy Spirit, you cannot set up all these solid boundaries that keep you away from the thing that you've been put on this planet to do. I think that it's like this. I think that Jesus, for starters, had a very defined purpose. A very very defined purpose therefore I think that he's constantly checking 
with with Father God, like, you want me to do this thing? Okay, yeah. I'm going to go do this thing. And you see him do that. I, I'm sure that there are, you can't imagine, I mean, like, watch famous people walk through a crowd. People, there are, people are pulling on them. Oh, yeah. So Jesus is ignoring a ton of what's happening. <laughs> and then you see a weird thing happen, right? When there's like, when he feeds the 5,000, he's like, we can't just let these people all go hungry. You're like, what about all the people that were going to die because right. you just pushed through? So it's a very interesting thing, right? So I think that we also have capacity. So sometimes I feel like when Jesus had capacity, he's like, yeah, let's feed all these 5,000. 5, mm -hmm. And then sometimes I feel like when Jesus didn't have, but that's the way I interpret it okay. through, through my life. So I feel like... For starters, I'm not just going to do three years of ministry, which I say just. Jesus's road is definitely way harder than mine. I'm not. I'm also raising kids, right? which Jesus had the disciples, but I am raising kids. So I feel like you have to take into account every, what you're first responsible for, right? And then what does it actually take to create health in that space? Right. And as fathers, we would both agree on this, where I'm headed. Yeah, no, I think it's a really healthy perspective. And what I've seen the most, and, and I have to take into perspective also my long-term goals and my short-term goals uh, based upon what I feel God's called me to. So at 12 years old, I literally knew I was going to rebuild people back to their original design. Yeah, I knew, now, I didn't know I'd be a counselor, but I knew that I'd do that for the rest of my life, whatever mm -hmm. that looked like. Turns out I'm a counselor. So inside of being a counselor, I have figured out with the Holy Spirit, through crashing, through testing, I can do X amount of appointments a week. Right. And I can also tell you when I feel like I've hit that threshold, even if it's shorter amount of appointments. Right. And I could tell you how many times I could travel a week and still do a good job being present at home. Yeah. Because if I go out and I'm present to the world, but I'm not present at home, I mean, my first ministry is to my home, honestly. So one thing that Pastor Bill taught me is like, besides God, I, I mean, take, take the obvious, like my first ministry is to God. But if I'm a hypocrite and I can't, and my kids can't say he's a generous father, right? he's a present dad, but all these other kids can say that, yeah. I don't even, like, I don't even, I don't even want to do ministry. And, you know, the, I think the challenge for me is I've seen literally being in ministry for as long as I could remember and counseling pastors and, and counseling, I mean, seeing the behind the scenes like you have. I have watched so many people give up their family for the mission field right. or for business or for money. Right. And I've never one time seen it actually work out where I go, that feels like God's design. Never one time. Mm. Their kids are hurt, uh, usually ends up in major, dis major dysfunctions, uh, ends up usually in some other kind of abuse because there's so much pain involved yeah. in it. Um, and, and so to me, I'm like, we don't have to do all that stuff. Yeah, You don't have to. You're not the savior of the world. Right. I, I guess I totally agree with everything you say. I see a lot of really healthy families that have kids that are hurt too. Like I see a oh, lot yeah. of really intentional families. Sure. So it's hard to blame that. No. that and that's and it's it could sound like I'm totally justifying like no, no, putting great. family aside, but I think a well, lot of people, especially in ministry, a lot of people use that 
But like the reality is, I know like some stellar families that love the Lord, whose dad and mom were fully right. there, and it was like, and their kids ended up jacked up because of decisions yeah. that they made. So like, I, I, I the the challenge is, is always going to be right. We live a life under tension, right? So we know, we know. You should know through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? When you've overdone it, yeah, or what your threshold right. is, and you should know that kids need time and energy and effort. Right. You also know that they're still going to have to make decisions. Right. Because God's not running over us going like, don't do that and don't do that and don't do that. Right. And, or making us do things. He's yeah. not pawns. So I would say the same thing. Like I could list 50,000 people that have, <laughs> right. like I've had good people have good marriages that mm -hmm. are like, I just don't want it. Right. I can't even believe, I'm like, what? You're in my, they're literally in my office. Like I just, just isn't working. I'm like, so nothing's happened. Yeah. You just don't feel it. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> You're crazy. Yeah. I've also watched so many times, literally the abuse of relation, the abuse of the covenant. When you get up and you make a covenant to somebody, mm -hmm. I will lay down my life for you. And therefore a covenant to that family. Yeah. And that family literally needs you. And you are going and doing this thing because you feel more successful over here than you do over here, right. I'm sorry. Right. Like, call it whatever you want, dysfunctional. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah. So everything's been abused in this world. For me, boundaries should, should just be like, if the Lord is, I, I really do believe this, if the Lord's called you to something, whether it's to martyrdom, <laughs> for reals, yeah. or it's to, you know, be wealthy, like a wealthy entrepreneur or businessman, I, I really do feel like your life will have the grace to carry it. Yeah. And I think that if you steward it really well with the Holy Spirit and community around you, mm -hmm. it will be a blessing to your family. Yeah. My, your sons and your daughters will be blessed because of your martyrdom. I agree. And it won't be like this crazy, it, they would have to choose to to ruin their life. It wouldn't be right. like you neglecting them, creating right. this huge wound. Does right. that make sense? Totally. And so I feel like, yes, we're supposed to have healthy boundaries. You know, my wife's about to have a baby. So it's like, I, I don't have this huge need to go minister to all these other kids when my wife's having a baby. Right. Like, could I get some people saved during that time? Probably. Yeah. But even Jesus was like, listen, there's always going to be the poor. Like, spend your time with me right now. Yeah. You're not going to have me forever. Yeah. Like, you're not always going to have this moment. Like, pour yourself out on me right now. Like, the most expensive stuff you got right here, baby. This is, this, is where, this is where it needs to happen. So I see Jesus put demand on relationship as well. Yeah. Where I think that it would have been easy to go and make all the food or to go right. run out and, and, and heal the sick and do the, you know, feed the poor and, and do all that. And I'm just like, everything in your life has a really good rhythm to it when when you are under authority, ultimately to Jesus yeah, and to God, but then to community too, because yeah. Jesus did community phenomenal. Yeah, he did. So he set really great boundaries with, he didn't just let the disciples go out and just try stuff. Yeah. I mean, they first watched him do it. Mm -hmm. And then he did it with them. And then he sent them out and did it. Right. And then he gave them feedback. Right. Sometimes so you, brutally honest feedback. Which is great. Yeah. So I'm like, he had a system. Jesus right. isn't this like guy that's just blowing through all these boundaries right. and has no process. And and I think that we think that it's like that. Like, no, he's actually 
he's a pretty rad dude. <laughs> Who's like fierce. Yeah. Makes a whip and gets everybody out of the... Yeah. Uh, he's like, no, this right here, you will not cross this right. line. This is a line you will not cross. That's a good word, Jason. Listen, we've been going for a little while now. And I, and I love this. We're going to do this again. Let's do it. Will you? Anytime. I'd come back tomorrow. Are you sure? I promise. Did you, have you had fun? Oh, dude. Not really. Are you, li are you lying? Don't lie to me. I don't Mile, lie. On a scale from one to ten. Nine. Nine? I don't know. I've had a solid seven. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> I've had a nine. I'm just kidding. That's what differentiates you from no, me. I, the, the, here's the two points that are missing. I wanted to talk about fishing, which we're going to have to do on the next one. Yeah, we'll Because do you legitimately... Do you know Mar... Do you ever do uh, do Marling Bates? Do you follow that guy? Marling Bates? No. I just saw it. Like, you do soft baits. You do fly tying. Mm -hmm. Like I, was, I make all my I, stuff. I knew yeah. you did flies, but I didn't know you did soft baits. Mm -hmm. And do you do wood, wooden baits as well? Crank baits? I've done it all. Well, I, I have all the stuff to make all that, yeah. too. Uh, super impressed. I want to hear about that the yeah. next time. I want to I want to hear about your new baby again. Yeah. And then I want to get into some funky stuff. So I definitely want to cool. have you back on. Let's do it. There was some stuff years ago that I heard like you and your dad having conversations about ah. that I really wanted to. Let's grab. That it. I want to hear. Let's grab yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'll we'll have to get that on the next time. Before we end, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, if people want to follow you, give them all. Yeah, JasonBalaton.com. They can go there and, and um, or on Twitter, you know, Jay Ballatin, they can follow me there. Okay. Is that what um, you like, Twitter over? Uh, sorry, I mean, Instagram. I don't, I'm not, I'm not on Twitter. Yeah. It just feels like too much of a hassle. It is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I have an e-course out for um, emotional health. It's, a, it's basically an e-course that if you want to learn um, how to do counseling or yeah. even go through the manual yourself and learn different tools for like boundaries or yeah. <laughs> changing the way you think or um, so... You can watch the e-course. There's like 140 pages manual. Okay. There's three interviews on it. You watch two live sessions where I'm actually counseling somebody, and then you learn a whole bunch of tools. So no way. Yeah, it's super fun. Can I like what does something like that run? Is it? Yeah, it's, it's 59 bucks. 59 bucks. Yeah, that's it. It's great. That's amazing. Yeah, e-course all the way. And check if it they out. want to get the e-course, where do they go to do that? JasonMalton.com. We should check that out. You guys should check that out. Jason, love you, bro. Dude, I love me too. That's awesome. I get that a lot from people. I bet. <laughs> Just kidding. Listen, thank you so much for coming on. I really, You're in welcome, a little bit man. of time that we've been able to hang out, I've really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, what you and your family have done for the sake of the gospel is amazing. Like, honestly, like your crew, like, is going down in the history books. Thanks bro. for their impact on the gospel yeah. and on the way people think. Uh, thank you. And that's like yeah. that's like real. You yeah. know that, right? I hope so. Well, you know that. Yeah. It is. You know your father? I asked your father for a word once, and he was like, no. And I was like, what the heck? That was years ago. I was just a little guy. I know. And then like I heard him preach like a couple years later. And he was like, he was like, sometimes I just tell people no to see what's inside of them. And I was like, that's what he did with me. And I was so bitter and angry. So I had to deal with that. Yeah, he's not Jesus. No, but none of us are. But he's a really great guy. He is. And uh, I love, I love your your dad. I haven't spent that much time with your mom, but she's got a great truck. My mom's phenomenal. Your dad has a great truck too. Yeah. You guys have good trucks. You have an okay truck. Are you gonna do the 150 sometime? Or are you gonna 250? No, I think I'll just take my dad's truck. Tundra? Oh, that would be amazing. The Raptor. Oh, I covet. It's perfect. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely covet worthy. I know. Jason, thanks. Bro. Um, next time uh, we're gonna get you on here. We'll we'll get some questions for you because I feel Let's like do it. I feel like you raised a lot of great questions. Let's and do it. We're gonna want to answer it. Thanks yeah. for coming on, man. Thanks Thank for loving Iris. 
I Thanks love for, Iris. Do you? So much. I do dude. too, man. You and I combine. So, so much. So your dad, your dad actually served as a as a board member of Iris for a season. Yeah. And he actually interviewed me from before I joined the board of Iris. Well, board. you're welcome then, Will. Oh, dude. He he said, yeah, he caught me off guard. He was great though, because he cared. He and does. he asked some really difficult questions. Yeah. You, actually, he basically prophesied I you were ending this show. me in this role. Are we just before. talking or are you ending this show? A little bit of both. He prophesied you in this role? Kind of. I was with Randy Mm -hmm. at the time, who I love. I love you, Randy. I love you, Randy. He's probably not going to see that. No, he watches everything I do. I love you, Randy. And uh, he's like, you're going to have to make a choice. Because I was with, I was serving Global Awakening and I was serving Iris. (laughs) Did he say God and man? He's like, you're going to have to make a choice eventually. I was like, no, I won't. What are you talking about? I can, these, I don't choose between mom and dad. Right. Like, why would I do that? You can make a choice. Right. You go choose something. Right. And like, well, within like eight months, boom, I had to make a choice. And uh, he was right. But I was right too. Just a little bit. Because I still choose you, Randy. I do. I choose you, Randy. Corey, do you choose Randy? Matt? No? It's a cheesy love, guys. Listen, uh, thank Randy, you guys. turn it off. No, no, no. Listen, Randy, keep watching. Uh, thank you guys for watching this episode of Green Room, the Irish Global Podcast with Jason Valentin. Uh, we love you, Jason. Thanks for coming. I'm going to bring uh, more game meat, too, next time. For love you. it. Thank you. Love Thank you, man. Guys. Thanks for watching. We'll see you guys in the next one. Great. Thank you. Yeah, dude. That was great, man. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you.